this morning. Romans chapter 7 is where we're going to be. Let's get going uh, this morning. I'm excited you're here. Uh, thank you for, for coming. And um, Romans 7, this is our second week in chapter 7. We're, we're cranking through the book of Romans expositionally. That just means verse by verse, chapter by chapter. I believe that's the best way we could teach a book of the Bible uh, or, or the Bible in general, really. God authored it and intended it uh, as the scriptures to be read as such. You don't, you don't just take a verse of scripture, read it, go read another verse of scripture. Maybe you, you grew up doing that with your daily bread little booklet, uh, but God actually wrote books. He wrote a book, and within that book, there are books of the Bible. And so for us to understand it, we have to begin at a be- beginning of a book and go through the end of a book expositionally so that we can understand really what God is trying to communicate through his word. And so uh, we're going to be in Romans probably a year, year and a half. And, uh, you know, we're, I'm in no hurry uh, because I think it's probably the greatest book for the New Testament Christian to really understand because it deals with the doctrine of our salvation. And specifically chapters 6, 7, and 8, if, if you wanted the most practical Man, what are, the, what are the key chapters in the whole Bible that can give me victory in my walk with the Lord on a daily basis? Romans 6, Romans 7, and Romans 8 are really keys to victory. And so I think God wedged those right in the book of Romans uh, to help us understand what it means to be sanctified, to have victory over our flesh, uh, to understand the, the, the relationship that we now have with God's Word, the law, and uh, how to walk powerfully in the Spirit. I think God put those three chapters in there so that we can live victoriously. And, uh, and so we're not in any rush to get through these chapters because uh, it is vitally important for the Christian to understand. So last week, we started chapter 7, and we opened up with the first few verses, and we talked about our relationship with the law, the, the, the Old Testament law. The Bible taught us last week that we've been loosened from the law in Christ. And, and God used a picture in the Old Testament of a, a woman that was married to a husband. And, and the Bible teaches that she is bound, the Old Testament law says that she, this woman is bound to her husband in marriage except he die. And, and we, we saw the Apostle Paul use that as an illustration not to teach on exhaustively on marriage, but to teach us that that's what our relationship with God's law is in our lostness, that we're bound to it. Our old nature is bound to the law, and it's bound to the standards that we cannot keep. But, but because when we come to Christ, we are crucified, we die, our old nature dies, we have a spiritual nature that now can be remarried. And we can be married to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a part of, or a picture of our salvation. So we're loosened from the law, we're married now to Christ, and the fruit of that marriage should be fruit that brings forth glory to God. Uh, the, the natural byproduct of, of any marriage, certainly any, any proper marriage between a man and a woman, the natural product of that is fruit. It's reproduction. And so in our marriage with Christ, it ought to be fruitful. And so Romans 7 really deals with our relationship to the law, to God's Word. We learned last week that we're loosened from it, And now we're married to Christ, and our our marriage should be fruitful. So we're going to pick it up today in verse 7 and finish, or or at least get the next part of this passage under our belt today, all right? So if you're ready to read, say amen. Amen. Look at at verses 7 to 13. So Paul writes on, God writes on through the Apostle Paul, and he says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? And I think if you talk to most Christians, most people that, that are familiar with the Old Testament, there's kind of a a bitter taste about the Old Testament. 
about the Ten Commandments, about the Old Testament law. And, and we just learned that we were loosened from the law in Christ. And so Paul just asked the rhetorical question, look, what should we say then? Is the law sin? And he answers that question. He says, God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. <clears throat> For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. Probably a word you haven't used this week. Amen? We'll talk about it. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. What in the world is he talking about? We'll explain it. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. This is not necessarily the technically easiest portion of Scripture to study, uh, but I believe God has some wonderful truths for us. So let's pray together. We need God's help this morning to, to understand it, so let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us. Father, we need you. Uh, Lord, take your word, lodge it into our hearts. Help us through your Holy Spirit to understand it and give us clarity and help us to see that the law is not sin. It's actually something that's very holy. It's very just. It's very good. And uh, our relationship with it can be a right relationship. And so, Lord, help us to grow today uh, to be more like Christ. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so, so this morning we're going to continue this conversation of what our relationship is to the law. And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of give you the blank, and then I'm going to explain the, the, the terminology here. Okay, so number one in your notes, if you want to write this down, the law, and we're going to use the word the law, and we're going to also use the phrase the word of God synonymously. Okay, are you guys okay with that? The law or the Word of God gives us the knowledge of sin. It gives us the knowledge of sin. Now, many times the word or the phrase, the law, in the Bible always points back to the Mosaic writings. Okay, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, uh, the, the, the Old Testament law. You could even say that starting with the Ten Commandments and forward. Uh, <clears throat> but I also want you to know that the phrase, the law, is used in the Scripture to generally speak about the Word of God in general, okay? So we're going to use both applications as we study this morning. We certainly are going to refer to the, the, the law of Moses, but when we talk about the law in our context, we also want to understand that it encompasses the entire Word of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Psalm 19 and verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, <clears throat> making the wise simple. And so, and so even the Psalms are part of the law of God. The psalmist himself is writing uh, this scripture. So Paul asks the question, look, is the law sin? We just saw last week that, that Christ is able to set us free from the bondage and the requirements of the law. So is the law sin? And he answers, God forbid, nay, I had not, here's the key, known sin but how? By the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. So what Paul is saying is, look, the law is what brings about the knowledge of sin. And, and he's quoting Exodus chapter 20, 
and verse 17, because the Bible says in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17, if you go to Exodus 20, you'll get all the Ten Commandments, right? This is just one of them. Thou shalt not covet, and here's all the things you shouldn't covet, thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not cover thy, thy, thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Don't covet. Thou shalt not covet. And Paul says, because the law says, because the word of God says, thou shalt not covet, because it says that, now I know what lust is, because I, I violated what God's word says. Do you, do you see the connection? So here's the principle that you have to understand as it relates to God's word. God's word does not make sin. What it does is it makes sin known. It makes sin known. <coughs> so the Old Testament, excuse me, the Old Testament is not sinful. It's not bad for us. It's not something that the scriptures themselves aren't something that make us sin. It actually is what reveals that, that what our nature and what our actions are doing are sin against the God who actually wrote the word. Does that make sense? It reveals, it makes sin known. So God's word is a revealer of truth. You know, the book of James, many of you have read this passage in James. James tells us that God's word, the law, is like a mirror. Now, I know it's Sunday, and, and you know, Sunday we try to do our Sunday best, right? We come to church, and we get up in the morning, and we shower, and we shave, and we you know, brush out our beard and we do all the things. And, and you probably spent a little bit of time in front of a mirror this morning assessing your appearance. Uh, Josh didn't, but the rest of us. <laughs> I didn't want to bring it up. It's obvious. But, but for the rest of us, we spent some time in front of the mirror. We're trying to see what we look like and see if there's anything we need to fix before other people see it, right? Plucking out the gray you know, for some of us, we don't pluck anything out because we're not, we want to hang on to every, like, thread of hair we have, okay? That's why I don't look down a lot at my notes. I notice when I look down a lot and I check the recording afterwards, I'm like, oh, wow, chin up. <laughs> I'm going to put a little piece of tape right here on the, on, the, on the thing, chin up, keep the chin up. It's better for everybody, all right? So, all right, so James chapter 1, here's what it says. James says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man unto a man beholding his, his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was, but whosoever or whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. There it is. Whosoever looks into God's word, Whosoever looks into God's perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he, being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And so we all understand what it, looks, what it means to look into the mirror to see what we look like. Look, the mirror just shows us what's already there. That's all it does. It only shows us what's there. It doesn't fix anything. It just reveals what needs to be fixed. Or well, like, what looks good, right? I mean, that's what, that we understand that. So God's Word, the Bible calls it the perfect law of liberty. God's Word is perfect. It's complete, it's whole, it's entire. 
And I do want you to understand that God's word, the law, the perfect law of liberty is a law of liberty, not of bondage. God's word is not the law of bondage. It is the law of liberty. And so listen, when we look into God's word, the perfect, complete standard of all truth, well, it reveals to us, it reveals to us things that aren't like God. It just makes it known. So, you're, so today really is an important lesson for you in your walk with God because it helps define your relationship with God through His Word. You need God's Word in your life. God's Word is not sin. It does not cause sin. But the first thing that it does is it reveals the knowledge of sin. It reveals to us the, the ugly that's there. So that we can get to step two, we'll get to that in just a second. Does that make sense? Man, God's Word is so powerful for us. Now listen, we have to get into the habit of looking into God's Word, the perfect law of liberty, and not judging ourselves amongst ourselves. Isn't it easy, listen, man, isn't it easy in, Christian, in Christianity to say, you know what, man, I know i got issues, but that guy really, he's got issues. And as long as we can find somebody that has more issues than us, and if we look in the mirror and we realize, man, we're getting gray or we're losing our hair or, man, we're getting black rings under our eyes, but, and we think, boy, that's really bad. But as long as we find somebody that looks worse, we, we can feel a little better about ourselves. The Bible says that's comparing ourselves among ourselves. Paul dealt with that at the Corinthian church, a super carnal church. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul says, We dare not make ourselves the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves... By the Word of God? Now, what do they measure themselves by? By themselves. And comparing themselves to the Word of God? No, comparing themselves among themselves. Here's what Paul says about that. They are not what? They're not wise. And, and I want to encourage the church this morning. Look, you've got to have a right relationship with God's Word. You have to look into the perfect law of liberty so that God can reveal to you personally the things that he wants you to change in Christ. If you and your Christianity is always focused on someone else and what someone else is doing or someone else's standard of righteousness, whatever that is, you're always going to fall short. And you're never going to see in your life what it is God wants you to grow through and from and, and, and what is sin in your life and how God wants to bring you out of that. Does that, does that make sense? The Word of God, God's law, the perfect law of liberty it reveals to us, it makes known to us what sin really is. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 says this, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law, by God's word, is the knowledge of what? Of sin. And so listen, that's why, that's why we need biblical teaching. That's why we need biblical preaching. That's why we need biblical discipleship. That's why we need a personal time every day personally in God's Word so that we can come to God's Word and say, Lord, what is it that's not like you and can you work in and through my life to move me from that to more of Christ-likeness? That is the point. The law is not sin. It doesn't cause sin. It reveals what's already there. And so we have to make a commitment to look into God's Word 
So God can change us. And you know what's interesting? We use that illustration of the mirror. Many times, most of us in the morning, that's the first thing we do. We shower, we get ready for work, or whatever it is. We're, we're at the mirror first thing in the morning. First thing in the morning. And wouldn't it be probably advantageous for, for many of us to spend some time in God's Word first thing in the morning? So that God can reveal to us the things, the shortcomings, the, 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 the things that may be there, but we're just not willing to acknowledge it. But then we look in the mirror and we see it clearly. That, that's, that's an important part of our relationship now with God's Word. It's an important part of our sanctification so that we can be more like Christ. Okay, so, so I just want to establish the principle, man, the law is not sin, as we'll get down in the verse in just a second, we're actually going to see it's good and it's holy and it's just and we need it. We need God's Word active in our life and we need to be active in God's Word. Number two, the second principle is this. Look, the law or God's Word is the very thing that brings us to Christ. <coughs> so once the, once the Word of God, once the law reveals sin, like Paul said, look, I, I wouldn't have known lust Except God's word said, thou shalt not covet. And I've coveted. Now I know that I've sinned. Does that make sense? Now I know. So the second part of God's word is, look, the law is what brings us now to Christ. It gives us the knowledge of sin. It gives us the truth. It's a schoolmaster. It, it wants us to learn so that ultimately we can come to Christ. So Galatians chapter 3, many of you know this passage. Look at verse 24. Paul writes the, the epistle to the churches in Galatians. He says this, Wherefore, the law was our what? Our schoolmaster. And there's a very specific purpose to God's law, to God's word. It was our schoolmaster to bring us into bondage. Is that what it says? To kill us. To be, to be the law of, of legalism and unattainable standard in our life. That's not what it says at all. The law was the schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Now listen, uh, concerning the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, those, those standards that God had in the Old Testament, nobody could keep them. Nobody could keep them. That's why there is no righteousness in the law. Righteousness only is in Christ but I want you to understand that that phrase in Galatians, I love that phrase. The law is a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. In other words, the law, God's word, the Old Testament Mosaic law, the intention was not for sin. The intention was not because it was evil. The intention was not to bring us into bondage. It was to teach us that we are sinners. It was to give us the knowledge of sin and then the law itself is the instrument that God would use to bring us to Christ. Because listen, the law could only reveal our condition. It couldn't cure our condition. You know, last Sunday, if you were here last Sunday, I'm, I'm struggling this morning, but I was really struggling last week to preach. I had a sinus infection. I didn't know it, and I, I was just really sick, and you know, it was gross. And uh, so Monday, uh, I went in to the walking clinic over here on Whitesburg, because I knew, I, knew, I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what was wrong. And so I go to the walk-in clinic, 
And, uh, you know, the doctor comes in, and they take all your vital signs, and they did the examination, and they look at my ears, look at my nose, look at my throat, listen to my breathing. And, and she did all this assessment. And then she came to the point of her diagnosis, and she says, you have a severe sinus infection, and you have so much drainage that it's making your throat raw where you can't hardly swallow. That sounds gross. I'm sorry to have to share that with you, but it's part of the illustration. <laughs> So she gave me her diagnosis. Now listen, if she would have stopped there, would that have helped me? I mean, she told me what was wrong. Hey, you've got a sinus infection, you've got this gross drainage, your throat looks like hamburger meat, it's nasty, you know? Okay, thank you. Well, listen, if she only stopped at the diagnosis and didn't offer the cure, I wouldn't be any better. Can I just tell you that the law, the Mosaic law, was a lot like that physician. It can tell me what's wrong, but it can't tell me how to, how to get fixed. It can't cure me. The only person that can cure me is Christ. Does that make sense? And, and so she wrote a prescription for, for cough medicine and for antibiotics, and she says, if you'll take this, this will heal you, this will fix you. She brought me with her diagnosis. She then brought me to the very things that would bring about healing in my life. The law couldn't heal us. But the grace of God can through Jesus Christ. And so the Bible says in Galatians 3 and verse 21, look, is the law then against the promises of God? And I think this is an important lesson because there's so many Christians today that don't really appreciate God's word in its entirety. God has a purpose for that Old Testament law. God has a purpose for his scriptures for you today. You can't unhitch yourself from the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, that law is not against the promises of God it actually is what brings you to the fulfillment of what Christ did for you. For if there had been a law which had given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But it couldn't. And so the Bible teaches us that's why Christ came. He came to become the cure for our sin. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 says this, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. The just... He is the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to who? To God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And so let me give you the key progression that you need to understand. The law, God's word, is what brings us. He's the schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. And Christ, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, and because of his atonement for our sin, Christ is now able to bring us to God. The law brings us to Christ, and Christ now presents us unto God as forgiven, as clean, as washed in the blood. I'm telling you, man, that's powerful. That's powerful. And, and if you look at Romans chapter 7 and verse 12, listen, Again, God, God gives us some strong words about the law, God's word. Again, Mosaic law, but entirety of Scripture, we're making both application. He says in verse 12, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. I mean, he gives us three different descriptions of what the law really is. It's holy, it's just, it's good. It's not sinful, it's not evil, it's not bondage. Can I, can I teach you something? That, 
that law, those attributes of God's Word, God's written Word, are actually the same attributes that the incarnate Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are three of the attributes that Jesus Christ has. And so Mark chapter 1 and verse 24, the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ, the incarnate Word of God, well, He's holy. He is holy. Mark 1 and verse 24, uh, <coughs> these, these, these evil spirits saying, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Man, even the demons and the, the evil spirits profess that Jesus Christ is holy. So the incarnate Word of God is holy. Number two, the incarnate Word of God is just. Acts chapter 3 and verse 14. But ye denied the holy, the holy one, and the just. This is Peter preaching to the nation of Israel. Acts 22 and verse 14 calls Jesus Christ that just one. And so listen, the law, God's word, man, it's holy, it's just, it's good. Well, Jesus is too. He, he carries the same attributes as the inscripturated word. Look at Mark chapter 10 and verse 18. The incarnate word of God is good. Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is who? And by the way, Jesus is God. So Jesus Christ is holy, he's just, and he's good. And, and, and listen, the law, whether it's the Mosaic law or generally speaking, the scriptures themselves, they bring us to the person and the power of Jesus Christ. That's why we need to come to God's Word on a daily basis. That's why the Word of God has an active part in our life, because every time we're in it, we see ourselves according to the standard of God's Word, and instead of keeping some tradition and checklist of religion, it brings us to the point of coming to Christ so that we can be healed of our sin. And listen, that happens at the moment of salvation, and it should happen every day since since then. God's not done making you like Christ. And He's not done making me like Christ. You know, I spent 20 years working in physical therapy, uh, which sounds really strange because I don't feel like I'm that old, but I spent 20 years working in the profession of uh, physical therapy for, for many, many years. Uh, I was a physical therapist assistant. I worked a lot of different uh, places here in Huntsville and uh, had some long tenures at a few different places. You know, and, and there were always kind of two groups of patients that came in to see me for, for therapy. Those that wanted to get better, and that those that wanted to dwell and just stay in their current position. In other words, they knew that they had something wrong, but they didn't want to get any better. And, and you know, as a clinician, that frustrates the mess out of you. You know, you want to just choke people. I mean, not literally, just in your mind. But, you know, sadly, there's a lot of people in this world that don't want the cure. And I'm talking about physically speaking. They revel and dwell in complaining about their problems and their symptoms. They revel and dwell in puking out their needs and their wants. They revel in just not getting better, but being sick all the time and always having a problem. I think maybe they like the attention of being sick. I don't, know. I don't know. There was always those two groups of people. They were the people that would come in and you would tell them, this is what you need to do, and if you do these things, your back will stop hurting. 98% guarantee. And the people that just did what they were supposed to do generally got better unless there was an underlying disease or pathology that we didn't find. 
But there were just some people that would come in, and they would come to see us for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And every day when they come in for their appointment, I would ask, hey, are you doing your exercises? Oh, no, no, no. I hadn't got around to it yet. But man, my back is killing me. I'm like, eight out of ten on the pain scale today. Of course, you're like, okay. And they tell you all about it. Okay, look, I'm, I'm reinforcing the fact this is what you need to do. Do you understand this is what you need to do? I'm giving you a new exercise sheet, all these different things. Go home and do that. You see them back the next visit. Have you done any of those things? No, I hadn't done any of those things. Like, I'm going to choke you right now, right? <laughs> like, I never choked anybody. That's a joke. But it really would just aggravate you on the, end time, on the inside. Because as a clinician, you're like, quit wasting my time. There's people that really do want to get better. You know, I think there are a lot of Christians like that. I think there's a lot of Christians that, A, want to get better. They want to they see victory over sin in their life. They want to move forward. They want to become more like Christ. Those are the people that spend time in God's Word. And, and when they see the reality of their character and their nature from God's Word, it drives them to Christ for healing. But I think there's a lot of Christians in our culture that are just content being sick. They're content being sick in their sin. They're content not being more like Christ. They're content not pleasing the Lord with their life. They're just content coming to church, enjoying the pleasure of their sin, never desiring to actually move forward, knowing that there's a problem, but never wanting to see victory in their heart and life. Listen, God's law, God's word, reveals the truth to us so that we can run to Christ, so that we can get healing, so that we can become more like Christ and please God. That's the point. And, and listen, it all hinges on our relationship and desire to be in His Word so that He can transform us. Okay, number three. We're out of time, but let me just give it to you quick. And actually, this is the biggest point, but, but it's okay. Number three, look, the law, God's word, it reveals the truth about sin to us. It reveals the truth about sin. I, I want to help you a little bit today. Listen, if you're a Christian and you struggle with sin, this ought to help you. Pick it back up in verse 8. We need to read the passage again real quick, verse 8. Okay, so the Bible says in verse 8, But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. You see, God's Word reveals the truth about sin in our life. And the key principle is this, sin is really the enemy. As a matter of fact, sin is the enemy in a me. Do you understand that? You see, the, the thing that is against you is not God, and the thing that is against you is not God's Word. The thing that is against you is the same thing that's against me. It is sin. It is sin in me. That is, that is the reality of the battle that we face on a daily basis. And the Bible says, Paul says, that this sin took occasion taking occasion. And that literally means taking opportunity. And if you haven't noticed in your life, sin takes any opportunity it can get. And it maximizes the impact and the damage that it has in our life. Do you, do you realize that? 
Sin takes all the opportunity that you'll give it and then magnifies and multiplies the effect. And so look what Paul says about sin. Number one, he says, sin wrought in me concupiscence. Concupiscence. It wrought in me concupiscence. Well, that word concupiscence literally means an extreme, vile, extensive, excessive lust. Not just lust, but lust, lust to the 10th power. Do you understand? It's like extreme lust, extreme sinfulness. That's what sin does because sin takes occasion. It magnifies and multiplies its damage in our life. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. Paul writes and he says, Mortify therefore your members, your members which are upon the earth, and these are your actions. Here they are. Here are the things that you need to kill in your life. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, in other words, extreme lust, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Paul tells us in, in the book of Colossians that those things need to be mortified. They need to be killed. Why? Because, man, the end result of that in your life will be magnified damage, magnified disappointment, magnified death, because that's where sin leads. So he says in the next part of the verse that sin revived and I died. Now, what is he talking about there? He says, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And again, we need about half an hour for this point, but we don't have it, so we'll just do our best and move on. What Paul is talking about here, literally, I believe, is the age of accountability. In other words, we all have a sin nature. We all have a sin nature. Even our children have sin natures. But, but listen, sin is not imputed to someone who is innocent. In other words, I have a three-year-old daughter. She doesn't understand what sin is. Does that make sense? And if, even though she has a sin nature, if she were to die today, the Bible teaches very clearly that she would be with the Lord in heaven because sin is not imputed unto her because she is not accountable. She doesn't understand right and wrong. She doesn't understand that sin is against God and it violates God's word. And so Paul is talking about being alive once without sin, but then the commandment coming in, sin reviving, and then us dying. He's talking about the spiritual death that we all experience in our sin. Sin exists, but it, it's not imputed in a child's life when there is no law. But you know, there is an age of accountability where, where a kid understands what sin is, and a kid understands what no is, and a kid understands what, 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 what sinning against God really is. You know, our, our daughter, our oldest is eight years old, and she got saved this year, and, and for a couple of years, we've been having those conversations about what does it mean to be saved, and what does it mean to be, what are we being saved from, and, 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 and man, for two years, she hasn't put those pieces together. But this past year, she understood, she understood that her sin is what ultimately made her guilty before God Almighty. Her sin. Her sin herself. Not, not my sin, not her mom's sin. And it made her guilty before God. It didn't make her guilty before me or her mom. It made her guilty before God. And that's when she became accountable for her sin. And, and, and so when Paul says, man, sin revived and I died, 
I didn't know that lust was lust, but then the law said, yeah, thou shalt not covet, and oh no, I've broken the law. I'm guilty before God. Well, that's what sin does to us. Sin creates death because of our sin nature, but let me just tell you, even after you get saved, sin will bring about death in your life, it will bring about death in your marriage, it'll bring about death in your ministry, in your relationships, in your home, on your job. It continues to be the thing that will destroy us unless we appropriate it properly under the blood of Jesus Christ. Lastly, Paul says, sin deceived me and slew me. Verse 11, for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it it slew me. You need to write this down in your notes, on your Bible, on your forehead, write it somewhere. Sin always deceives. Sin always deceives. It'll even, sin will even make you deceive yourself. Did you know that? That we can deceive ourselves into thinking, you know what, this, this particular sin, this thing is not as bad as it is because I look around my church family and I see other people doing it. So, you know, I, it can't be that bad. Sin will also deceive you to think, you know what, I can stop doing this anytime. This is really not a problem in my life. I can stop doing this at any time. Sin will actually deceive you by making, it, making you think that the thing that you're doing is actually bringing you satisfaction when the truth is it, it's killing you. It's killing you. Sin is a deceiver, and the result is always death. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14, the Bible says Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. And, and many of you know the story in Genesis chapter 3. Listen, Eve is a, is a learning example for all of us. Listen, she didn't know God's word the way she should have known it. She lusted with her eyes. She didn't regard God, God's word as authoritative in her life. She didn't regard her husband's authority and leadership in her life. And the devil played her just like he plays you and I and deceived her into thinking you can violate God's word and get away with it. Oh, and actually be better for it because you'll be like God. And the result of sin is always death. And we know spiritually they died. You know, Paul Paul wrote to Titus, and, and he says, you know what, when we were deceived, that, that really paints a picture of who we were as lost people. We shouldn't be deceived now because we have the perfect law of liberty. We have God's word. You don't have to be deceived now. He says in, in Titus 3.3, we ourselves also were sometimes foolish and disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That was your life before Christ. If it's your life now, since you know Christ, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. He says in the very next verse, verse 4, After that the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward all men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. That whole description in verse 3 is our lost life. So we shouldn't be deceived any longer. That's why spending time in the perfect law of liberty, spending time around people that are in God's Word, getting your standard of behavior and lifestyle from the Word of God and the authority of the Word of God is so important. Because just if you come to church, the truth is you can still be deceived. 
you can still be deceived. And if your life is full of these things, foolishness, disobedience, deception, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, malice, envy, hateful, hating one another, sin's deceiving you, and it's killing you. That's not what God wants for you. God wants you to come to his word so you can see yourself according to the authority of this book so that it can bring you to Christ. That's the point. You know, Paul wraps up that verse in verse 13 there, and he says, you know what? We always have to remember that sin by the commandment, when we we properly have a biblical understanding of what sin is, you know, sin's not a popular topic in the Laodicean culture of Christianity. I mean, we're in the 21st century, for crying out loud. We, we have moved well beyond talking about sin and, and hell and things like that. No, actually, we need to come back to the book of Romans and have a biblical definition of what sin is and, and have a biblical appreciation that sin, by the commandment, might become exceeding sinful. You know, God wants to drive us to his word so that we see the things that we do that don't please him. And we see them, number one, as sin. And number two, we see them as exceeding sinful. Exceeding sinful. And if the standard is not God's word, well, we can explain away our sin. We can excuse it away. We, we base it on a different standard. And God says, you know what? That's not the standard. <laughs> this is the standard. And we have to be reminded that the wages of sin is always death. It's always death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Take it to the bank. Well, it hadn't got me yet. Man, you're a ticking time bomb. The law, God's word, is for us. Amen? It's for us. It's not against us. It's not evil. It's not bondage. It's not what causes sin. It reveals sin to us so that ultimately that word, that law, can bring us to Christ for healing. You know, if I would have never went to the doctor on Monday, well, the truth is, I probably wouldn't be preaching today. (laughs) My throat would have been literally hamburger meat and my head full of an unspeakable substance where I couldn't breathe. You know, honestly, I probably would have gotten a lot worse I had to make a choice to realize something's wrong. Something's wrong. I need to go to the doctor. I got to make a choice. And I'm, I'm the world's worst. Can I just tell you? I'm the world's worst. I never go to the doctor. I don't go until I'm like halfway done. I, that's my fault. And my wife hates it. But Monday morning, she was like, go to the doctor. Like, you need to go to the doctor because you're messed up. <laughs> True words have probably never been spoken. <laughs> of my wife. But the truth is, she was right. If I wouldn't have went, I wouldn't have got any better. The diagnosis was good. I needed the cure. And for some of us this morning, you know what? You need to make a choice. Some of you need to make a choice to get in God's Word daily, number one, because you need to see yourself according to the standard of God's Word not because God's mad at you, not because he's angry at you, not because this word is against you or to bring you into bondage. It's to help you realize that you need to come to Christ in whatever area it is. Does that make sense? 
We have to make the choice to just settle the issue once and for all. I'm just going to come to find out from God's Word why all this death is happening in my life. You've got to make a choice. Some of you have come to God's Word and you realize, okay, well, there's things that aren't lining up in my life, and it's sin because I'm violating God's Scriptures. You've got to take the second step. You've got to realize God revealed that to you not to bring you into bondage or to beat you up, but to bring you to Christ. So some of you need to get in the Word of God. Some of you need to come to Christ because you have been in the Word of God. You need to respond rightly and run to Jesus. Don't be the perpetual chronic pain PT patient that doesn't do his exercise. Come to the one that can bring about healing. And then some of us need to make a choice once and for all to see sin the way God sees it. That it truly is exceedingly sinful. And it truly is bringing death into our life, death into our marriages, death into our homes, death into our children's lives, death into our ministry, death onto our jobs. We have to see it the way God sees it. We have to see it the way God sees it. Hebrews 11 says this. I'm going to close with this because we're out of time. Look, Hebrews 11, verse 24 and 25. By faith, Moses, by the way, synonymous with the law, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. How long? For a season. Listen, sin is pleasurable for a season, isn't it? But the pleasure ends when the death begins. The pleasure wears off, and the reality of what really is behind the mask of sin, the deception really is revealed, and it brings about destruction. It brings about death. And and listen, Moses had to make a choice. I'm either going to suffer with the people of God. So I'm just telling you, if you choose to, to get in the Word of God, and if you choose to come to Christ, and if you choose to see sin as it is, it doesn't mean your life's not going to be full of struggle and affliction. As a matter of fact, it will be full of struggle and affliction because you're in a world that is against God. But he said, you know what? I would rather suffer affliction with God's people and do it God's way then enjoy the pleasures of sin because, by the way, all these Egyptians, God's going to kill them. They're going to die in that Red Sea. Pharaoh is going to be destroyed. Moses had to count the cost, and he had to make a choice. And church, we've got to make a choice. I just want you to be encouraged today. Listen, that, that's a tough passage to deal with. I want you to be encouraged, man. God's Word is for you. It's to benefit you. It's holy. It's just. It is good. To not be in it. To not spend time with it. To not let God examine your life. That book will read you. You read that book, it'll read you. And that's so helpful for us as Christians. We shouldn't fear that. We shouldn't fear sitting under biblical preaching and biblical teaching. We shouldn't fear sitting under biblical discipleship because God wants to bring about healing in our life. So God help every one of us, right, to submit to that. That's what we need, church, all right? That's what we need. All right, let's pray. We'll dismiss because we are way out of time. Father, I thank you for the morning.